Jose Abreu has hit two homers since we last spoke. He's back. I mean, kind of. We got health updates on some critical players and some reasons to have hope that the worst is behind us. It's episode 27 of Stone Cold Strohs, and it starts right now. Welcome into Stone Cold Strows. I'm Brandon Strange. I'm joined by senior content contributor for Sportsmap, Charlie Palillo. Follow him on Twitter at Palillo and read his weekly column on sportsmap.com. Next to him is sportsmap.com editor Josh Jordan. Follow him on Twitter at Josh Jordan975. Uh, Charlie, Josh and I got to meet one of our podcast watchers, Wilson, last Thursday, Thursday at Permission Bar. Uh, so if you're in the Heights area by White Oak and you're looking for a cool spot, Ask for Wilson at Permission Bar. I recommend they're smoked old-fashioned. Uh, they're not paying me to endorse them, but they should. So shout out to Wilson. Well, a bright spot in an otherwise bleak week around World, but no reaching for any ripcord on the season. One week out of 26. Ominous signs, yes, but this is week 27. So shout out to the second greatest number 27 in Astros history, Altuve has number one sewn up, but the very underappreciated as a baseball player, the late great man, Bob Watson. That's right. I also uh, like uh, Glenn Davis at 27 uh, and uh, Tim Bogar, obviously. And then uh, current broadcaster, Jeff Blum, number 27, former number 27. So uh, guys, let's get into it. Um, the Astros wrap a uh, that much talked about stretch of 17 straight games with a record of nine and eight, losing three of their last four series. Uh, let's get into some health updates real quick. Uh, we'll do it. The good and the bad and the ugly style. The good is Michael Brantley swinging a bat doing baseball activities. Dana Brown says he took swings with no discomforts uh, quote. That's an exciting thing. He's actually playing catch and he's throwing. The bad, Jordan Alvarez, Dana Brown says his timeline is still up in the air and it's going to be another week before we even know how long it's going to be. Uh, and then the ugly, Lance McCullers has been shut down by all accounts, had an MRI, an announcement is supposedly to come. That's no bueno. Um, if if you had a stretch to get well, this, would, this window of games against the Nationals, Reds, and Mets would seem to be that stretch. So, guys, if you had a wish list of things that need to be corrected or turned around or happen to fix what ails the Astros right now, even though it is many, what's atop that list? Well, God's priorities are out of whack if he's focusing on fixing baseball players. But to me, this revolves around Jordan Alvarez. I mean, frankly, who's not expecting to hear Lance McCullers isn't going to pitch this year? If Michael Brantley comes back, there's zero superstar potential that Michael Brantley for two months is going to hit 350 with all kinds of power. Jordan is the son uh, of the Astros universe. If his offense has a chance to be very good, you know, great will take off the table the way things have gone to this point. There's a mediocre offense with Jordan clubbing. Um, without him, it pretty much has no chance. So secondarily to Jordan's health, Altuve getting and staying healthy and producing the rest of the way. Yeah, for me, it's just a little more consistency with the bats. Last time we were talking, you know, Bregman 
you know, really getting hot, heating up. And now in his last seven games, he's hitting 188, six hits in his last seven games. So when we thought he was starting to take off, looks like he's getting a little cold again, at least for this past week. And Tucker, too. Tucker, 214 his last seven games. So you lose Jordan, and then Bregman and Tucker just have a down week. So that that really hurts your offense. They can be a little more consistent. I think that would help tremendously. Obviously, the stretch of 17 consecutive games is not just physically tolling, it is mentally tolling as well, uh, which I think could be seen uh, by the fielding errors and just the overall mental gaffes that were happening uh, on defense. Uh, But we are seeing kind of a culmination, kind of a story being told, a narrative that's being written about Tucker out in, in right field. And we've, you know, we'd heard rumblings about it, how the advanced stats were kind of pointing at it. And we're seeing a little bit more of that now. Uh, how much do we really expect? Can we expect from some time off to really like refresh? Cause I mean, it's just a day, but you know, maybe a day is a lot for a lot of these guys who really haven't had, especially in the case of guys like Tucker and Bregman who have played a lot of games this season. How much can we expect a day off to really like re-energize these guys. Yeah. Um, I would say Kyle Tucker's 26 years old without any health issues who wants 10 years more than a quarter million dollars. Kyle Tucker's been a disappointment this season. End of story. OPS of 773 heading into the national series. That would be some 40 points lower than his worst single season total over his three years as a full-time starter. The previous worst last year where he dipped down about 100 points from his 2021 season. So if we're going to put a couple of guys in the crosshairs, Tucker is one of them. The idea that he's a superstar, no, he's not. Maybe he looked like he was ascending toward that level. Well, Ascension, no. He needs to get on with it. Uh, Josh alluded to Alex Bregman. Once he got hot, it's not like anyone should have thought he was going to hit with an OPS of 1,000 and hit 350 the rest of the year. But as you lose Jordan for Bregman to spin into the tank, four for his last 28 uh, heading into the National Series, a problem. Uh, less blame, so to speak, from me uh, to Jeremy Pena because Jeremy Pena's never been established as a star. He had a super-duper star postseason, but that's three weeks. Uh, Pena basically has not improved at all from his rookie season to his sophomore season. Uh, one specific area, his base dealing is wretched this season. Six stolen bases, he's been caught six times. You're better off not ever trying to steal if you're going to be a 50-50 proposition. But when you look at the makeup of these Astros and coming into the season with the platform of that postseason, you know, you'd hope that Pena would at least have a, a pretty significant incremental improvement from his rookie year. It has not happened. Reality is the Astros aren't a very good team right now. Against everybody but the Oakland A's this season, they're 31 and 29. The good news is you still have 60%, almost 60%, of the season left uh, for their problems recently and, and beyond. They remain on pace to win 90 games last season. The Rays were the number three wild card with 86 wins. Uh, you know, the angels are having a nice spurt, but are they going to rise into contention? The Mariners are stuck at 500. Uh, the Brewers swept at home by the A's, but the A's are still garbage. Uh, the Astros have an advantage watered down with the more balanced schedule this year. But among the Orioles, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays, they're going to play each other enough with the Rays and the last-place Red Sox, a 500 team. There's going to be some win-loss cannibalism in the American League East. So by Astro standards of the last few years, 
you know, this wasn't going to go on forever. They weren't going to win 100 games uh, seemingly annually in perpetuity. Well, maybe this is a team that needs to grind and get to 91 wins, make it as a wild card. Then you're on the road for that best of three lightning round, but you give yourself a shot under those circumstances. The Phillies did it that way to get to the World Series. Yeah, hopefully the time off, give the bullpen a little bit of rest. You know, Ryan Presley's given up a run here or there a little more often than normal lately. So, yeah, hopefully the bullpen gets back to, to being locked down. And, you know, I'm not too worried. I think this is a good stretch where they can make some hay. They have 15 games left before the exact midpoint of the schedule. And after those 15 games, the Astros will be in Arlington for a four-game series with the Rangers. Coming out of spring training, I don't think many would have thought that could be an absolutely pivotal series for the Astros if they want to remain viably alive. I mean, there are collapses and surges in baseball history. But over these 15 games, and Brandon, you mentioned they start with nine straight against losers. The Nationals stink. The Reds have a little mojo going with Ellie De La Cruz called up and some young pitching Uh, They're not a trash team, even though they're a sub-500 team. And then the Mets here next week. And by the way, unless he breaks down, Verlander is going to start one of the games in that series. But you have those nine games and then two more series uh, ahead of the Rangers. Three at the Cardinals, then three at the Dodgers. Well, over these 15 games, if the Astros don't go better than eight and seven, They're looking at going up to Arlington that if they can't win that series, they could be nine, 10 games out of first place when they wake up July 4th, which is the morning after that Rangers series. So if you want to go glass half empty, that's the barrel that they're staring down over these next three weeks. Conversely, maybe the Rangers are overdue to hit a bit of an air pocket, right? That they lost two out of three in St. Petersburg. Well, the Rays are clearly the best team in baseball. No shame in that for the Rangers. Um, They are home this week, starting with four games against the Angels, but then they're on the road. They have a series at the Yankees. So maybe the Rangers encounter a little bit of a hiccup. But if they don't and the Astros don't make some hay on this homestand, uh, it will be uh, code red when the Astros get to Arlington end of this month. Well, one of the things that uh, we've been talking about on this podcast is how uh, BLAC and JP France have outperformed expectations being called up this season. That finally caught up with BLAC. Um, and up till this point, you know, the focus has been on uh, talk of trading for a bat because you're like, hey man, these guys are out there, uh, you know, throwing a lot better than you would expect. Uh, you you mentioned Verlander coming in. JP France through seven games has better stats than Justin Verlander. He's pitched better than Justin Verlander this season so far. I don't expect that to hold up, but the numbers are the numbers at this point. Uh, but the focus has been on trading for a bat. But seeing Belak. Uh, you know, kind of come back to reality and understand that, you know, Lance McCullers probably isn't coming back now. Does the uh, pendulum of urgency start to shift back towards maybe trading for a pitcher? Not for me. Uh, clearly, it's the offense here. You know, you look at, you know, the Rays and, and the Texas Rangers, they're first and third in OPS, respectively. So Astros are sitting at 22nd. So it's the offense. The pitching's still good. And, And, I mean, all those guys have struggled this past week. Christian Javier gave up four to the Guardians. Hunter Brown gave up five to the Twins. J.P. France, four to the Twins. And, you know, you mentioned Belak there, too. But he'd been pretty good up until that point. So you saw all the starters, for the most part, outside of Fromber, just not, you know, just have a poor game in their last outing. So I'm not too concerned about that. And, you know, I know we're going to go back to the five-man rotation. Looks like Belak will still be in it. But, you know, to me, it's the offense. they got to hit the baseball better to compete. 
they still lead the major leagues in earned run average. So uh, what in political speak would be, it's the offense stupid. Right? It's the economy stupid. Um, I think they're pulling the wrong guy from the rotation. Not that one start, man. Hey, Ronald Blanco should be your number five. But Bielak, I think, Bielak danced through raindrops. Uh, still way too many base runners against him. And all right, he got nailed for it last start. But you can't pitch effectively in the major leagues with a whip over, over 1.5. Uh, J.P. France, maybe it was just a hiccup or regression to his career mean where he, you know, walked six guys. Um, you know, that's not going to be playable over the long haul as more teams get more video and say, hey, you know what? We take a few pitches on this guy and he'll set up some innings for us. Uh, mindful of the workload jumps from Javier and Hunter Brown. I know Fromber gave up the lead in Cleveland, but I mean, he is their rock. Uh, offense, offense, offense. While the Astros were getting shut out in Cleveland to end that series, the Rangers and Rays were finishing up their three-gamer. The Rangers and Rays each have six guys in their everyday lineup with an OPS over 800. With Jordan out, the Astros have zero. Uh, now, when Jose Altuve settles back in, we'll presume he'll hurdle back over 800, but Altuve starts the week at 790. The Rangers and Rays have six guys over 800. The Rangers' seventh and eight guys have OPS is better than every Astro other than Jordan and Altuve. The Rangers have outscored the Astros by more than 100 runs already this season. The Astros do not have a good offense. The Rangers have an historically great offense in the works. Uh, I threw this in the column the other day. Since 1950, one team in Major League Baseball, the 1999 Indians, Albert Bell, Manny Ramirez, and a whole bunch of other studs, the only team since 1950 to score more than 1,000 runs in a season. The Rangers are on pace to top 1,000 runs. I'll take the under on them getting there, but they're going to be well into the nines, and the Astros are not close to that. Also, the Rangers' starting rotation is about dead even with the Astros in ERA. Right? The Rangers' weakness is the bullpen, and I've mentioned here before, the Rangers are going to go aggressively upgrade that bullpen. I expect at least two arms to be added there. Um, so if the Astros offense doesn't pick it up, they're not going to be in this race at the end of September. So from some pitchers who have been outperforming expectations to uh, a batter that's been outperforming, uh, a hitter that's been outperforming expectations, BDE usually stands for something else. But right now for me, it stands for Big Dubon Energy. Over his last seven games, he's hitting 324 and slugging 500. His OPS and on-base percentage are virtually tied with Alex Bregman. Now, that's not because it's egregiously high. It's just because Bregman has scuffled up to this point. Uh, his average is way higher than Bregman's, with the obvious caveats being that he has seven fewer home runs and 50 fewer at-bats. Uh, guys, I'm going to ask a, maybe an unfair question, uh, but who is more valuable at this point in the season with their production to this team, Mauricio Dubon or Jose Abreu? Wait, is that a trick question? Uh, Dubon has had a lot of hits so far this season. Uh, Jose Abreu is the worst player in baseball, right? He's a sub-zero war, meaning a random AAA guy could be called up and perform better than what Jose Abreu has done this season. I mean, maybe there was the faintest of pulses with a couple of home runs over the weekend. And in the moment, hey, good for him. He's trying. Well, for $19.5 million per year, I think we can all expect that he should at least try. It's about performing. But that, oh, Bray, who's found it, and look at his surging exit velocity. 
two home runs in one game on one weekend of games is no more meaningful in a bigger picture than Jordan Alvarez going one for 14 over four or five games, right? It's about what is your average sum body of work. And I'll repeat, Abreu has been the worst player in Major League Baseball, and there have been more than 1,100 guys to play so far this season in Major League Baseball. Uh, Maldonado, by the way, is in the bottom 10. Um, so Dubon, and I do want to include that these things are relative, but for expectation and track record, right? Abreu, people cling to well his track record. Look at the back of his baseball card. Look at the back of his baseball card. How about put it in the spoke of your bikes and ride around with it? Um, <laughs> you know, Dubon's been a revelation. That said, his OPS is lower than Bregman's. It's lower than Pena's. It's lower than Myers. It's lower than McCormick. Right? His OPS is 727. The batting average is terrific. Uh, he's been marvelous, just slapping base hits to, to right field, going the other way. Um, but it's not like he's been a big-time offensive player. He's been big-time for Dubon and compared to what Hensley was starting this season. But it's not as if Dub- – a lineup of Dubon's would not be a good offense. No. Right? He'd be the ninth-best player in the Rangers lineup offensively. Here, he's a shining star so far at this point, which just kind of speaks to the 2023 season to date. But he also seems to be a delightful guy. Second base is a very down position so far this year in the American League. Well, except for Marcus Semyon, who's a top three MVP guy, on pace to drive in over 125 runs out of the leadoff spot. Remember when the Astros had production at the bottom of the order that George Springer could drive in 90 runs leading off? Semyon's on pace for 129 runs batted in. I digress. But because second basemen collectively are no good, uh, Dubon actually has an outside shot to get to the All-Star game because unless Altuve wins the fan vote, which would immediately take Dubon out of it because Semyon's then the backup, uh, so props to Dubon, but I think there are some getting carried away with actually how good he is in terms of a component of a winning lineup. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I have to go with Dubon as most valuable. Obviously, what he did in Jose Altuve's absence, his ability to play defense at so many different positions and be good at it. And when you're just watching the game, when Dubon comes up, you think, hey, he might get a hit here. When Abreu comes up, you're just hoping he doesn't strike out on three straight pitches. So I'm hoping that Abreu starting to turn the corner because, man, they need him now with Jordan not being healthy and Bregman tailing off a little bit. But, no, Dubon's been really good. They've needed him, and he's come through. Dubon's done enough, and you mentioned defensively. And you'd like to see a little longer track record of it, but I'm taking him at second base defensively over Altuve at this point. Uh, a related point, Altuve should be DHing a couple times per week as opposed to uh, Corey Jolks getting DH at bats. You juggle McCormick Myers, of course, with Jordan out. You have another spot to fill in the lineup. Uh, But to get Dubon some time, I just don't think they're going to put him at first base. He gives you no power. He has no defensive experience over there. Um, But, you know, if he's going to slap his way to 300, I wish he'd walk once in a while because the on-base percentage is just not good for a guy batting 300. But to, you know, lighten a little bit of the stress on Altuve is 33 years old and nagging injuries and oblique here. The thumb was a freak thing. But uh, Altuve, I think, would benefit uh, from not having to play the field a couple games per week. And you have your obvious worthy replacement. Yeah. And I know there's qualifications and caveats to the story, but it is a great story because. Dubon is a defensive infielder or a defensive uh, utility guy, first and foremost. And so to get any production out of him is a story. Uh, we talked about, we kind of joked about 
before the season about where would they play him and, you know, the times in which he's led off and how ridiculous that was. But this season he's actually led off and did well uh, relative to – And I look, New York would have – I know it's a different position, but New York would have killed for Kiner Falefa to have this sort of offensive output uh, last year you know, in the postseason uh, or just during the season, uh, absolute disaster, uh, behind the plate. Um, let's, what's, what's our Yuli update guys. I, cause I mean, I hate to do it because I know we talked about, uh, Jose Abreu earlier, but we had a lot of people that were the, the Yuli truthers that, uh, believed they should have, you know, kept him. I know, uh, I think what well, he said in like two sixty right now, but his OPS is also under 800, I mean, are, are we still talking about whether the Astros should have kept Yuli? I mean, I, obviously the price tag would have been lower, but that's not really the answer either, right? No. Uh, look, uh, Yuli in part-time plus playing time with a surprising Marlins team, his OPS is 713. That's not good. I mean, compared to Abreu, well, anyone is better than what Abreu has been. Did I mention he's the worst player in baseball so far this year? <laughs> Uh, Yuli and they all count and the Astros will get a couple of games in, in Colorado themselves. Yuli had a three game series at Colorado where he went nine for 12. You pull out those three games. Yuli's batting average this season is 221. Abreu's batting 220. Um, you know, Yuli overall, he's not a plus everyday player. Would you rather have him at the 3 million, whatever the Astros could have kept him for than Abreu's 19 and a half? Sure. But moving on from Yuli was a, a solid decision. Abreu was a way better player last year. It just has completely imploded on them to this point. Yeah. I, I mean, most of us were really excited about the Abreu signing when it happened. I, I was hoping they'd still be able to hold on to Yuli, but I knew it was a possibility he'd be gone. But yeah, you know, hindsight 2020, it it just hasn't worked with Abreu. You can't really explain it. It just hasn't worked, at least hasn't worked yet. Traditionally, he's better in the in the hot months of the summer. So if he's going to get things going, well, it's going to be 100 degrees this week here in Houston. So it's officially that time of year. So if he's going to break out, it's going to be sooner rather than later. Now, Yuli's six for his last 42. I mean, Abreu beats that. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> well, move on to our last topic here because it's kind of on theme. And we're spoiled we're spoiled following this team in Houston. And the theme of this season has seemed to be more than ever guys stepping up. And so we talked about BDE with Dubon. Well, here's another big D. Uh, Yiner Diaz. Dana Brown said he wanted to see him more last week. He's seeing him more. And Diaz is delivering. Uh, Dusty is a made guy, but can Diaz hitting and producing at the plate, can that put pressure on Dusty to insert him into the lineup more? Well, I thought it was interesting. I mean, I want to say a flat-out power struggle, uh, but that Dana Brown, the first-year, first-time general manager, went public saying, yeah, I've talked with Dusty about giving Diaz more playing time. Uh, Dusty's ability to resist was reduced when Jordan went out, but Diaz should be in the lineup three days out of four. I mean, he should be catching at least half the games. Uh, the The damn near fetish with Maldonado, whose numbers across the board are terrible. The machete blade is dulled. He's not throwing out base stealers. Diaz way better at it. Diaz zero pass balls. Maldi has four. And frankly, Maldi has a couple more that were gifted to him, scored as, as wild pitches. Um, we know offensively Maldonado is a terrible player. 
Uh, Diaz isn't there yet as an established good player, but even struggling, Yiner is better than Martin Maldonado. Uh, you also spot him occasionally for 36-year-old Jose Abreu. You know, that Abreu's on pace to play 160 games is just stupid. I mean, even if he was playing well, you know, he's at an age where you should spot him a day off uh, more often than he's gotten so far this season. So uh, throw Yiner in the deeper water and see to what extent he swims because you see the ball jumps off his bat. I uh, went and watched some AAA video, right? He still needs to swing at fewer pitches, but let him feel his way along. 100% of the upside in performance at the catching position lies with Yiner Diaz relative to Maldonado, you know, whether Corey Lee and all this at some point. Yeah, I believe they won about 300 at-bats for Yiner, and they were only on pace for maybe around 220 until Dana Brown made those comments. Now we've seen an uptick. He has played in five of the last eight games, which is a lot more than we're used to. He's played at DH. He's played at first base. He's played at catcher. So it's starting to happen here. And, I mean, we were talking about it last week that – Hensley had more at bats than Yiner did and, and he hadn't even been in the big leagues for weeks. So finally Diaz getting a little more run and it needs to happen. Maldonado just hitting 091 in his last seven games. I mean, he's just giving you nothing up there. There's just too many holes in, in this lineup. They, they, they got to figure this out and getting Maldi out of the lineup regularly would certainly help, but we know how dusty is. I, I just don't see that happening. Very few people like being told do this, do that. I'm pretty sure 74-year-old finally World Series winning managers qualify on, on that list. But sometimes you just need to admit, all right, maybe I was a little slow in seeing the light or coming around on a particular subject. But that Maldonado started 45 of their first 63 games behind the plate. I'll, uh, I'll drop that phrase, managerial malpractice once more. Yair Diaz won't catch half the games because Christian Vasquez couldn't catch half the games when he was here. And Vasquez is a way uh, better catcher, maybe not as good of a bat, but uh, I, as far as uh, veteran catchers go, Christian Vasquez, I know I've mentioned Christian Vasquez probably more than some of the players on this roster, uh, this podcast, but um, the Montero truthers were pointing at the splits between Maldi and Diaz as a reason for Montero's struggle, saying like, oh, well, you know, when Montero is blown up, it's when Diaz has been catching. That's the value of Maldi. Well, now Montero has blown a game with uh, Maldi behind the plate, so that should uh, disseminate those arguments. But you're you're right. Dust, Dusty, to some extent, is a, is a made guy because of his career in this league and because he finally has uh, a World Series championship ring. But Jim Crane has, between the two guys – He's got you know this one-year deal with uh, Dusty Baker, and Dana Brown has what a five-year deal, um, and so the commitment long-term is to Dana Brown. How much pressure should Dana be putting on Dusty in the lineups, and and how do you do that when you have a guy like Dusty who is a made guy? How do you cr- put influence uh, for a guy who maybe? Charlie, to your point, maybe he just doesn't see. Maybe I doesn't think he's wrong. It's like, oh, Diaz is just, you know, getting lucky or whatever the case is. I, that's my favorite part about baseball is when, when the results don't go the way you think, it's luck. Uh, it's either bad or good. 
How, how does Dana influence this situation when you guy who is so well-liked and so much you know, he's as heralded as Dusty Baker is? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good and interesting question, right? What's the, 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 uh, the gauge of a velvet on the velvet hammer where you're saying, Dusty, Dusty, um, when you're a, a rookie GM, um, I'd throw in, I'd be curious if we had a sodium pentothal uh, stock <laughs> usable. Where's Joe Espada on this stuff? Very potentially the Astros manager in 2024. Um, uh, let me just mention quickly, and, and I know there are those who think, uh, hey, 26 years as a manager, Dusty's never been thought of as a strong tactician, but a great people person, handler of the clubhouse, a guy people like to play for, all of which has substantial value. Uh, but any idea from the dusty, flat-out bashers that, well, if they had a good manager, they'd be, you know, 47-19 instead of 37-29, and 29. no. Uh, hardly any managers have significant impact on the win-loss record. I mean, maybe a couple games better around the edges here or there. And people will bash Dusty when he makes a decision that works out. Are they lining up to give him credit? No, it's easy to see the sore thumb sticking out and whack at it when something does not work out. Um, but if I were Dana Brown on the, the, and, and he did go to him and say, Hey, you need to play him more. Um, Dusty with, with all due respect. And I appreciated his most elaborate defense, if you will, for why he was playing Maldonado so much. But one particular point that I thought I mean, it was just ridiculous. Um, I don't want to say insulting to smart fans or observers intelligence, because if it really is what Dusty believes, the issue is, Hey, Dusty, you're wrong. That with Hunter Brown, Maldonado caught Brown five of his last six starts. Part of Dusty's rationale is, well, you know, what if Yiner gets hurt and Maldonado then has to start catching Hunter Brown all of a sudden? What? Maldonado's the 36-year-old guy, 37 in a couple of months, catching the bulk of the games. Why don't you turn it around and say, well, what if Maldonado goes down? Why hasn't Diaz had more reps with Javier and Fromber and anyone else on the staff? It was just a, a very silly point. By the way, over the first six starts where Yiner was Hunter Brown's catcher, Brown's ERA, 2.81. Those starts with Maldonado behind the plate, 4.81. Not a critical mass of data, but certainly points that fly directly in the face of the point Dusty was trying to make. Yeah, it, it, my deal was they just needed to get Yiner regular at bats. If you know he's considered your best hitting prospect, and you, you sent Corey Lee down to Sugarland because you didn't want him just sitting on the bench all the time. Well, you don't want Yiner sitting on the bench the whole time. If these guys are going to develop, they're not going to do it just watching. They have to play. And I mean, in the last seven games, Yiner's hitting four seventeen and slugging eight thirty three, and you desperately need offense right now. So hopefully, we don't have to talk about this much longer. I think Dusty got the memo. We're going to see Yiner more often than not. Granting Dusty the very valid point that there's more to catching than how you hit, we all understand that. But when you're talking about one of the very worst offensive producers in baseball in a lineup that has been scuffling, I mean, come on. And throw in the fact that catching Yoda being what he is and has all his skins on the wall, the Astros earned run average of the season is lower when Yiner Diaz has been the catcher than when Maldonado has been the catcher. Diaz has thrown out about one third of opposing base dealers 
Maldi's at about 20%. I mentioned the past ball numbers. And if you buy into the advanced metrics on pitch framing and stealing strikes, Maldonado's in the bottom, bottom 25% in that category this year. So what legs are you standing on with the 2023 Astros in this argument? Well said, and we'll leave it there. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Another episode of Stone Cold Shows in the Books. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. Charlie, Josh, and I will catch you next week. But you don't have to wait uh, that long to get your Houston sports fix. All you have to do is subscribe to Sports Map Houston on YouTube. And John Granato, Lance Zerline, and Josh Jordan will have you covered there. And remember, ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 FM has you covered on your radio dial in Houston. I want to thank Jack Brame for pushing the buttons behind the scenes. And thanks to everyone listening. And until next time, go Strohs.